to the film room this is a very special episode this is one that's been in the offing for a while as we were uh, laying out the plans for nostalgia which ironically we are still trying to get back on schedule with that we stress we've had excellent reasons but we are slowly getting back on schedule with that um when we were looking ahead at the movies of 1995 that we would be looking at in 2015 we tried to decide what would be our absolute highest and what would be our absolute lowest bars what would be the movie that for us represented the definitive nostalgic classic of 1995? And there was one movie that we both mutually agreed was the movie that people still remember, that people still look back at. A movie that was a milestone in cinema history, but nobody really cares about that because they more remember the movie for what it is. And that is Toy Story. Toy Story, what we are calling... It's not even a trilogy anymore, it's a Toy Story anthology. Because on today's cast, we're not going to just be looking at the first movie. We're not going to just be looking at the uh, trilogy. We're going to look at all the assorted material. And I mean, we're going to look at all of it. Yeah, I just watched one that I didn't know existed last night. Which I have a lot of thoughts on. I, I, I really, some, some very, very positive thoughts on. Um, Let's face the facts. This is a case where we're not going to be doing a lot of plot synopsis. We're not going to be doing a lot of backstory. Because we really and truly trust that you all know the story behind these movies. Although, weirdly enough, every single film in this series has a bizarre backstory in terms of what happened behind the scenes. And we will hit them briefly. But we're not going to spend much time going into the stories. Because the reason that we're doing this, mo this is because... We know that you all know these movies. I can feel reasonably certain that pretty much everybody that's going to listen to this has seen the first movie. I can feel very, very certain that most of y'all have seen at least the second movie. And probably a great majority have seen the third. Oh yeah. And cried. And cried. And, and cried. cried. Oh, cry. Oh, how much <laughs> these movies have wrung tears out of you. These are the movies that we think of. I mean, these movies... They've had a tremendous impact on people. And so, I mean, let's just get this out of the way. Just to be clear, let's get the opinion part out of the way. Mm -hmm. I personally consider this on par with the greatest trilogies of all time in cinema history. I would agree. I would rank in terms of consistency, I would rank the Toy Story trilogy above the Star Wars trilogy. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I'm going there. Um... I actually think that the Star Wars trilogy, as much as I'm a massive fan, has some real inconsistencies. Yeah. I don't know that the that Return of the Jedi is quite as solidly structured as it needs to be. I don't know that there's not... Boy, I'm going to invite some heresy here, but I don't know that there's not a certain softness in the middle of uh, Empire Strikes Back that doesn't make it a frustrating film. I mean, really, when you get right down to it, most of the stuff with Han and Leia is time-killing in... Empire Strikes Back, if we're perfectly honest. It's killing time. On the other hand, the first Star Wars movie is as perfectly structured of a film as you can ever hope to find. If you're a screenwriter, study it to death. 
I don't feel that way about the Toy Story trilogy. Um, I'm also exempting Lord. Of, I'm I'm also I put it on the same tier as Lord of the Rings. But let me be clear about this: the Lord of the Rings movies I consider one movie. So it's a twelve-hour film. It is. All the same, my point is this: I do think the Toy Story trilogy deserves to be spoken of in that exalted breath. These three movies are maybe they're not the three greatest films of all time, but you know, in terms of animation, definitely they deserve to be spoken of in that breath. But they are the most consistent, the most reliable, and really some of the most profound animated films ever made. Uh, in the in, at least in the West. Yeah, ditto on all that. First one was great, and then uh, I remember going to see the. Unfortunately, I did not see the first one in theater. Uh, the second one I saw in theater. And uh, thought it just it just topped it. It just you know you can't. This is audio, so you can't see what I'm doing with my hands. But the you know the first one was here, and then the second one was way up here. Yeah. Okay. There's no denying that. Yeah. There's no denying the the leap. So when they uh, when they announced roughly ten years later that they would be doing toy story three you know a huge amount of skepticism kicked in it's like i don't know you know you guys i mean you guys did right by toy story 2 and you guys have a really good track record but you have to top toy story 2 like toy story 2 topped one and honestly i don't know and i just i ate those words yeah yeah, Toy Story 3 is easily the best of the three. I agree. I, I honestly do agree. I mean, I, I, I know everybody, I know a lot of people do tend to lean two, but I think that three goes to some really, some, some really serious places, and it goes to some really dark ideas. Three is a film about very profound loss and about um, facing the end of one's life. I mean, it is a, fundamentally, three is a, uh, is a G-rated animated film that is a giant allegory for how we face death. Yeah. That is a serious theme for, for a movie. There's even a symbolic afterlife there. Yeah, th- okay, I normally, I'm just going to pause right now, because mm-hmm. that's inevitably going to be something that people are going to bring up, is fan theories. I hate 99% of fan theories. I hate. I do too, because they're mostly dark, and uh, in a medium where... It doesn't really belong. I have, I have, however, heard people theorizing the idea that the different potential fates of the toys represents the different afterlives. Say, you know, the the room with uh, the uh, preschoolers, the one level of preschoolers is heaven, while the other room is hell. Uh, right. The attic as purgatory. The incinerator as nothingness. And then the eventual fate of the characters as uh, reincarnation. Right. That's actually kind of fair. I actually kind of believe that might have been something they were thinking. I mean, I don't know. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I'm just going to say this right now. That's the only fan theory that I'm entertaining about this entire trilogy. I'd, I, otherwise, I really don't have anything else to, to say about those because they're garbage and they're just trying to add darkness where it's not necessary. Yeah, no, I hate those. I did kind of want to do like a brief history of Pixar because I think it is interesting. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to go for next as well. So, yeah, why don't you give that? Because you sound ready to go. So give it. So, again, I can't. I don't know exact years, but like sometime in, 
I think 85 was their first short, is that right? Some Somewhere in there. Um, yeah, with Tin Toy. Pixar started off as the uh, the computer animation division of the Lucasfilm. ILM. ILM, yeah, Industrial Light and Magic. They started off as the computer animation division, where they were doing their own things. And uh, just kind of doing research into what they could do with computer animation. And, you know, as such, they made all these, you know, they made, you know, these short films to kind of test out their abilities and what they could do. And eventually, I forgot why. Oh, I know exactly why. Why did they sell Pixar to Apple? Oh, this is fun. I love that I get to tell this story. They had to sell it because in 1986, uh, Lucasfilm was invested heavily in Howard the Duck, which flopped. Mm, that's right. We have covered this. Howard the Duck is the reason that Lucasfilm sold Pixar. Note, by the way, that in 2015, they're all both under the same umbrella now. Yes. Yes. And that was the end I was coming to. Yeah, the uh, Pixar is its own company, and they... They do more development and put out more short films. And they decide, hey, let's let's do some feature films. Because I think we can do this. I think this is a concept yeah. that we can prove is possible. And, you know, let's... let's, But, you know, let's not have it be a gimmick. Let's actually, let's actually invest very heavily in story. And, you know, just make something great. Make something that won't be just a forgettable wisp. Which I think is something that we should really state. Up until now, when computer effects were used in movies, it kind of did tend to feel like an experiment. Like you were playing around. I mean, nobody's really going to remember young Sherlock Holmes, uh, which had a CGI carrot, which had a CGI hallucination, which is pretty cool to look at, don't get me wrong, but nobody remembers that movie. Um, it was just a pointless experiment in a film that certainly didn't need it. Um we do, of course, remember the use of CGI in Jurassic Park, but that was Spielberg doing some profound work on a movie that, no two ways about it, was going to be remembered as classic anyway. Um, and even then, you know, the CGI was used pretty sparingly. Yeah, it was used to enhance uh, the uh, models, and it was used to do things that the models couldn't do. Again, we covered this back at the beginning of the cast. The CGI still looks amazing. Um, and of course we have to address Tron because that was the first attempt to really play with it. Tron is a movie that is a cult movie. I mean, yeah, they did go back and do a sequel years later and, uh, it's one that I am to actually love that franchise. I'm, I'm a big fan of both of those movies. Yeah, it's a good film. Great soundtrack too. Oh yeah. Oh God. We, we could do so much on that soundtrack, but, <laughs> oh, I have, which I listen to it frequently. Uh, it's in my car oh, all the me time, too. but here's the thing. That movie is also kind of hollow and doesn't have much to go with on the way in the way of script. It's a lot of cool concepts, but it's a lot of flash. I'm going to say right now that the smartest thing that Pixar did in doing this movie was not making it about computers because that yeah, would have oh dated god. that would have dated it hard. Oh god. Yeah. Cuz you know that's probably what a lot of other people who were starting out with this were planning on doing, which was something self-reflexive. Yeah, which is which is what Tron did. Mm -hmm. Which is what Tron did. And again, Tron's a cool movie, but it's also a cult movie for a reason. In this case, Pixar did something right. They chose an actual story. They chose actual characters. They uh, they they signed a deal with Disney. They got Disney impressed, and 
they uh, they rapidly cobbled together a uh, they cobbled together a version of the film that screened for Disney in about '93, and Disney promptly told them, "You guys either fix this or the movie doesn't happen." Really, I don't know how familiar you are with this story, but apparently, what happened was Disney executives gave them a lot of notes, and they were very bad notes. The ideas that you would have had in this movie would have been Woody as much more of a dictatorial figure as opposed to the likable man of the people that he is. Note, by the way, that he still, that even at that point, he already had Tom Hanks cast as the voice. So let's just agree that Tom Hanks as a dictatorial uh, toy wouldn't be very good. <laughs> no, not really. No, no. As, as opposed to just the tremendous work that Hanks would wind up doing in the final film. Uh, Disney basically, they had a very, very bad moment where Disney basically said, you either fix this movie or we don't release it. And so they had to go back to the drawing board and pretty much scrap things. One of the things they did wind up doing was bringing in a young writer uh, who would uh, wind up getting an Oscar nomination for this by the name of uh, Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon, yes. I've actually read pretty firm evidence that apparently Whedon was the guy that came in and kind of righted the ship. Uh, Apparently a lot of things that we do think of from the film are his inventions, his additions. Um, you have to factor in that they had a ton of writers that worked on it, but Whedon managed to get uh, his name on the final script, so that probably tells you how much work he did on it. Whedon has become such a controversial figure this year, we're not going into that. No, we're not. <laughs> we're just not. Um, but again, his work on this script, from everything I've heard, I'm not exactly clear on what his additions are, but he did make some polishes to it. They did sit down, they did write the film, and everything started to come together. Now, as they were preparing to release the film, something else happened that really threw Disney for a uh, loop, which was The Nightmare Before Christmas came out and bombed, if we're honest. it mm. Now, it did okay at the box office. Merchandise tanked. Now, let's all sit here, by the way, in 2015 and have a good hard laugh at the thought that The Nightmare Before Christmas <laughs> tanked in merchandise sales. That's funny now. It is, yeah. That's hysterical now. Um, back in 1993, though, it it was just, the film was rejected. Disney didn't even release it under their own label. Um, it was orphaned. The thought that the film would wind up becoming the classic it became is kind of hysterical, really. But Oh yeah, Disney, it was, touched, it was released under Touchstone and stayed under that. For a while, but yeah. Not until a 3D re-release, I think, did Disney reclaim it as their own. We've already covered our thoughts on that film. Um, look, you know that film, you love it. What more is there to say? Um, but but this wound up having an effect on Toy Story because nobody wanted to touch the merchandise. Which, I'm going to say right now, this is really kind of funny to me. I mean... <laughs> yeah, you, you have a uh, movie that's going to be the first fully uh computer animated feature length film all about toys and a lot of the toy companies didn't want to touch it mm-hmm. um that's why a lot of the toys in the movie are off brand note that woody and buzz were always supposed to be off brand um yeah they want yeah they notoriously wanted uh barbie like mattel to bo peep would have been barbie yeah bo peep would have been barbie and mattel wouldn't let him do it and, of course, you know, come the second film, Barbie is, of course, in there because hindsight. <laughs> but Mattel was giddy to get involved then. Oh, oh, come the second film, all doors flung open for them. Um, So, you know, but again, 
so Disney did want, they wound up struggling. And the only toy company that would pick up their toys was a small toy manufacturer by the name of uh, Thinkway. They're the ones that wound up doing the action figures for the movie. Nice. And they were repaid for this, for this uh, leap of faith by having their stuff sell out everywhere that it could. I mean, yeah. let's face the facts. We all know that the film went on to become a monster hit. But, I mean, I just really want us to sit back and think about that, that that's just how much people were scared of something new, that toy companies were afraid to touch the movie. Now, Thinkway has actually continued their partnership with Pixar, not for every movie, but uh, WALL-E. They did the, uh, they did the uh, toys for WALL-E. Nice. So, yeah, they, there's a lesson in that. You take a risk, you can wind up getting rewards uh, years down the road, because, of course, those toys sold great. Um, now, okay, we've established the film was a risk. Disney still treated it very well. They gave it the prime Thanksgiving release date. That's when I saw it. I saw it day one in theaters. Oh, I could not wait to see this movie. I thought the commercials looked great. I thought it looked wonderful. For all of the risks and all that, it wound up becoming the highest grossing film of 1995. That seems pretty fair to me. Yeah, that's that's one that is very deserving. You know, I think I put on Facebook recently that, hey, you know, they there's a correct article that said, hey, you know, films that were big in the day that nobody remembers now it's like, yeah, that kind of proves that, you know, box office numbers don't always predict, like, their cult status. Yeah, this one, this one is not even cult status, really. It is, like, completely 100% mainstream. But, yeah, it's it has stayed there. Just, just to jump ahead, in uh, 2010, when 3 came out, it would also be the biggest film of its year. So that's not bad to have two-thirds of your movies be the biggest films released in their years. Yeah. I should note, the margin between the first and the second movie, or between the first and the second highest grossing films in 1995 was about $7 million. It was around $80 million in uh, 2010. So that tells you just how much this franchise mattered to people. Wow. Yeah. You know, again, so the film comes out and it was a huge hit. The film is one that I think really impacted me as a child for a very specific reason. It is the first time that I remember watching a kid's movie and realizing that the hero was truly in the wrong. Hmm. And that's something that was really unique to realize. When you get right down to it, yeah, there are other villains in the film, but when you get right down to it, the true antagonist of the film is Woody. Yeah. Woody is the one that has to learn humility. And after you've grown up on a generation of films that are nothing but you are the specialist snowflake ever. Right. Here was a movie that actually dared to put forward the message that, hey, you're not. And you have to learn to work together. You have to learn to deal with other people. Toy Story didn't affect me because of the animation. Oh, I thought it looked cool. I didn't really pay any attention to that. I was really caught up in the story and in the characters. And that's what I think was really so powerful to me about the movie was that it told me, okay, you can be, and also that Woody was so likable, but he was still wrong. He was still arrogant and his pride still set the whole story in motion. Nothing that would have happened in this movie would have happened if Woody hadn't been arrogant. That was a big lesson as a kid. And furthermore, I mentioned Tom Hanks being a vital part of that. Hanks in 1995 was about as much the voice of like 
reason and decency in cinema as we knew. Uh, this was the same year as Apollo 13. So to hear that iconic actor providing the idea that, okay, maybe everything isn't, it really did have a, a big impact. That's a nice way to balance out the original idea of, you know, the the main character is like a tyrannical dictator. It's like, no, he's very well liked, and that's the problem. Yeah, it's that that can become too much of an addiction. And the movie really talks to kids on a very adult level and says, look, you know, it's not always as easy as you're good, you're bad. I'm really serious when I say that Toy Story was the first film that made me think about emotional complexity. Yeah, and God, Pixar would, you know, carry that beyond the Toy Story trilogy. Like, oh, far. All their films, all their films deal with very adult topics on a kid level. I think I think that we mistake adult humor as in, you know, humor that's really kind of graphic and sexual. No. Which, yeah. which, let's face it, does show up in movies. But we mistake that for adult filmmaking, and that's not. Adult filmmaking is dealing with serious ideas. Uh, the movie also takes the idea that, okay, Buzz is deluded, he's delusional, but he's also still a good person. He's also still a good guy. And the movie, the movie feels sympathy for him, and it doesn't judge him. Um, yeah. As much as it's easy to pinpoint Hanks as a highlight in the film... Tim Allen, I don't think, has ever gotten the, the due he deserves for this franchise, because he really does yeah. some great work in it. Um, I maintain Allen really missed his calling as a character actor, because he really has some skill there. You know, of course, this was just a, this was just a year removed, of course, from the Santa Claus for him. That's true. Which is uh, a movie that I actually still like. That's, that's a movie I actually still quite like. I haven't seen it recently. I'll have to... I'll have to go back. It actually holds up much better than I think you'd expect. I really, but I really, that really is something that stayed with me about this movie. That, you know, that these characters are not painted in black and white terms. There really is a gray element to them. That seems simple now. But I think it's because we've had years of, we've had 20 years of animated films that have taken their cues from this one. Mm -hmm. Toy Story really did leave a, a deep, it really did impact me. And it, it really made me start thinking about some of these ideas. And I think that that's one reason that I think it holds up so well. It is funny. It is very, very funny. The animation is, let's face it, it's very early. I actually, uh, did you see the uh, double feature when they released one and two in theaters in 3D? I wish I did. I was I did. so mad that I missed that. I absolutely yeah. did. Oh, I didn't miss that. An observation I would make about that, I actually went deliberately on a Saturday morning to see it with a kid-filled audience, which was a wonderful idea. I will say this, the two movies actually converted to 3D gorgeously. I've noticed that when you're try that when animators are trying to show off new technology, they always do really immersive work and that's what made uh, the Toy Story trilogy that's what made those movies look good. That's what made Beauty and the Beast look so good in 3D is because they were trying to show off what they could do with their technology and that lends itself well to 3D. Yeah. The difference, though, between 1 and 2 is epic. Oh, it is. Yeah, I've always thought that. Um, even watching it on VHS back in the day, it's like, yeah, this is... Like, the animation is good. Like, the film looks good, but it is ever so slightly dated. Mm -hmm. 
and that's fine. But I mean, it it, yeah. it, it, it is a giant step up. Um, let's talk briefly about the history of two because two does have an interesting history because of course, yeah. as soon as toy story came out, Disney was ready and eager to get Pixar on a sequel that would have gone direct to video. Yeah. And that breaks my brain that they ever thought that they would make a, a Pixar made film direct to video. Well, they were ready to do it because it would have been made in house at Pixar, but it would have been done direct to video and it would have joined the pile of all the other direct to video movies. They were ready to do it. I mean, this was announced. It was a go. They were ready to do it. They were, they produced a rough cut and once more, they showed it to Disney. You're going to notice that this is something that happened again, that once again, they took a rough cut to Disney. And they were planning, I think it would have come out in 1998 was the plan. And Disney looked at it and said, oh, oh, this is too good. And so they wound up scrapping pretty much everything they had. And starting from scratch on the animation. Um, really? Yeah, they, well, it was more that they had a really good script. They had really good characters. They had things that were ready to go. Disney looked at it and said, no, let's go theatrical. That pushed the film back by about a year because they had to animate the whole thing. But Pixar made the, de but it was just mutually decided that they would go on ahead and do it as a theatrical film. To date, Pixar has never done a direct-to-video animated. Thank God. They've done some shorts and they've done some specials and we're going to get to those, but they've never done a direct-to-video animated film. Disney, of course, eventually wound up shuttering the direct-to-video sequel division. Thank God. Thank God. And... And thanks in part to when they merged, uh, John Lasser took over the yep. uh, animated division, and he was responsible for that. Yeah, this was directly Lasser's call. Yeah, the I think w the um, one of the stories behind that is they were making a Tinkerbell movie for direct to video. He looked at it and said, "This is this is crap. No, you can't release this. This will." This hurts the brand. You can't do it. Those have those have actually continued, by the way. But they've done very well and apparently are good enough to go theatrical overseas. So take that for what it's worth. There you go. Yeah, they have. But, but yeah, yeah, he, John Lasseter, is responsible for that. Toy Story 2 is an interesting film for me. Um, you said this was one you saw in theaters. It's one I almost didn't, actually. I actually came very close to not seeing it in theaters because it came out my freshman year of high school and I worried I was too mature to see it. I may have talked about this before on the cast. I worried I was too adult to see it. I worried it was too... But I went on ahead and saw it anyway because I really did want to see it. And I was wrong. I was really, really, really wrong. So... Toy Story 2, what more is there really to say beyond it's an epic uh, expansion of the universe? Oh, God, yeah. That was the, uh, I think that was the point that really impressed me. It's like, oh, you know, I'm you know, I'm a sucker for expanded universes. And this one, this one blew it wide open. Yeah, it's, it's fun finding out that the characters that you love are, are part of a bigger thing. And it just, you know, it changes the way you look at them. Here is what I think people need to understand when they go bigger in sequels. Is if you're going to go bigger, you you better be giving me more material. Not just, well, we're going to do much bigger action sequences. Which they do in this movie. They do some much bigger action sequences. They do what remains to me one of the funniest set pieces in any animated film in cinema history. Which is the bit with the cones. 
<laughs> which is one of the funniest bits of slapstick. I I laughed so hard. I laughed so hard at this movie, period, because it is hysterical. But that bit with the cones where they're just, okay, everybody drop, and then and it just winds up creating all kinds of havoc. Yeah. It's just 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 from crossing the street. It is so and then of course they look back and they're like, oh everything's okay. And of course the the city isn't they've left the intersection in ruins. <laughs> and the giant concrete cylinder runs into a pole. It is it is it is ridiculous, it is silly, it is glorious. I Oh such such love. Such love. This movie builds. This movie builds on the universe. We see Al's toy barn. We see... So we get to go into the toy store. We see where... We see Woody's origins. We see Buzz's origins to a greater degree. We get the information that we've been denied. I mean, we get more information. There is a fully fleshed out universe. This is an example of what to do in terms of building your universe and making it feel like a larger world. Um, which is funny because I kind of feel like the set, the, like the third movie does the opposite and kind of shrinks things back a degree. Yeah, it kind of does. But, but it establishes that we are going to get more. We are going to see more. And this movie does something very vital, which is it adds characters that are worth adding. Barbie is fairly generic, and she doesn't really add that much. It's more that, oh, it's fun that they did throw in Barbie. Yeah, it's really funny, considering that they denied her in the first movie, because by the, you know, 15 years later, by the third movie, she is a principal character. Yes, she is. And oh, am I looking forward to talking about that situation. But, uh, oh yeah. But here's what this movie is, of course, primarily remembered for, is for adding, a number of characters do get added. But I think the most important one that gets added is we got to talk about Jessie. Because Emily was just the same. She was my whole world. When somebody loved me, everything was beautiful. Every hour was spent together. Good lord. Yeah. Uh, Joan Cusack is an actress that I've always loved. I've always loved her, even in movies that aren't very good. Um, I addressed In and Out back when we got to that. She got an Oscar nomination for that, and she deserved it. She is awesome, and she absolutely brings her all to this movie. Of course, it's well known that she doesn't do the singing voice for Jesse. That it that comes from professional tear ringer uh, Sarah McLaughlin. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. That scene, it's oh. We've all look uh, every every time every time it comes on, it's like. Oh God! Oh no! Here we go! No, please! <laughs> yeah, this, this, you know, I okay. I hate the emotional manipulation of those stupid commercials that McLaughlin's song is put on. I hate it. Yeah, I hate it to death. I hate it to death. I hate it to death. Yes. But it goes without saying that I absolutely, profoundly love the sequence in this movie. It's yeah, it's well done. It's great. This, of course, earned an Oscar. I can't fathom how it wouldn't have. Uh, this is as perfect of an emotional beat in a movie as I can picture. And what's great about it is that this is the moment that the film's allegory starts, to, that the grand allegory is laid out. This is a movie about parenting. This is a movie where the toys are really an allegory for parents. 
I mean, this is a movie about, you know, I mean, it's an allegory for a lot of things. It's an allegory for innocence. It's an allegory for things, you know, moving on and growing up. But the idea of the toys as a stand-in for how parents feel has never been more underlined than in that scene. Because if you step back and view the, view it from the perspective of a parent reflecting on how their child used to view them, it will crush your soul. Oh, there I go. I'm doing a fan theory, but I don't think this is a theory, even slightly. No, it's it's the subtext. It's street subtext. And it, it's there. It's very real. It's very profound. And the movie makes you feel, but it doesn't feel like it's manipulating you. It's just... It's just giving you what you... It's just giving you something real. Yeah. It's part of the story. I mean, it's part of the whole theme of the movie. You never forget kids like Emily or Andy. But they forget you. Jesse, I, I didn't know. Just go. And God, does it work. I mean... Even without that moment, I would still love Jessie as a character because she's fun, because she's entertaining. And again, because Cusack just brings her all. Um, there is a nice subtext in the film in that, uh, now at least there's a nice subtext, in that uh, the utterly loathsome prospector uh, is is voiced by the utterly loathsome Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> this is a case where real-world actors really do kind of help to give you a certain feeling for things. Um yeah, the villain in the last two seasons of the X Files um, is uh, Adam Baldwin. Oh, really? Oh, god, it was so easy to hate him uh, in this rewatch. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the fact that Grammar is someone who—I'm just going to be honest—his life is pretty despicable. I there's there's a lot oh. of there's some bad stuff in that world, and I'm not talking about his politics because there are a number of people who I disagree with politically. I'm just talking about it. he's just ugh. I think uh, I think Thirty Rock also plays with that. They do a bit, but I mean, it is kind of nice. Um, on the other hand, uh, Al from Al's Toy Barn is uh, Wayne Knight, who I have the opposite. Oh yeah, of. I love Wayne Knight. Wayne Knight is awesome. I don't know why I didn't make that connection. Yeah, I love Wayne Knight. Uh, he's he he's awesome in things I hate. I mean, yeah, he's good in he's space. great in Space Jam. Yeah, he's great in Space Jam. <laughs> yeah. He's wonderful in there. Too bad the movie is horrible, but you know. I don't know. I mean, really, what is there to say about this movie that hasn't been said a billion times over? Toy Story 2 has been called The Empire Strikes Back of the Trilogy, and I don't disagree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure it's the darkest chapter. It's not. It's not. It's the moment where the franchise turns from something fun and fluffy, because the first movie still is very much a fun and fluffy movie, into something more serious. And we could probably do an entire commentary track on this movie. It oh, just yeah. works. It just plain works. It's entertaining. The action sequences are funny. Everything in the toy store is hysterical. Yes. <sighs> yes, it is. There are a number of pop culture references throughout, but they're actually good pop culture references. Like, they feel like references to things that aren't dating. Yeah. Like, there, like of course, there is the Star Wars reference with uh, Zerg and... I'll never give in. You killed my father! No, Buzz. I am your father. No! Which then leads to some to a hysterical beat. <laughs> Buzz, are you coming? No, I I have a lot of catching up to do with my dad. 
Good throw, son. That's my boy. Go on, buddy. God, I love that. <laughs> There is the, of course, by the way, that is one thing that we should notice. That is a trope that shows up in all three movies is version of Buzz that's not quite straight in the head. Um, in this movie, it's True. it's new Buzz Lightyear action figure. In the other, which, by the way, leads to a great moment where Buzz meets the guy and he's like, was I really like this? And it's like, hey, the, <laughs> right. hey, the movie remembers its character has grown. Buzz Lightyear to Star Command. I've got an AWOL Space Ranger. Tell me I wasn't this deluded. No back talk. I have a laser, and I will use it. You mean the laser that's a light bulb? <gasps> yeah, I love that. Thank you. Yes. When you, you get so used to sequels where characters revert, of course, naturally the idea in this movie is that Woody is the one who kind of gets a little bit high on, but it's more that his ego gets turned up. Yeah, by getting shipped to Japan and being enjoyed by kids all over the world, which, you know, we know that that's not necessarily true. You know, that, you know, it's also, oh, can we talk about the fact that, I can't believe we almost glossed over this, the fact that Toy Story 2 is a huge stab at adult toy collectors. Ooh, this movie, this movie is mm. vicious to toy collectors. Like, and this is coming from, this is coming from an adult who collects toys, but no, I agree. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, th this movie has a very vicious view of toy collectors, and I love it. I, it, it, which is, it's ironic, the animated movie that made me realize that animated movies could be something I could love until adulthood. <laughs> and by the way, I did see Inside Out in theaters, for those who are curious. Um, I did too. I loved Inside Out. I barely caught it. Yeah. Like, I caught it at the tail end of its run, but I'm glad I didn't. That's a movie that we will get to, I think, in some point later on down the road. Um, <laughs> but again, this movie hates toy adult toy collectors, and it mocks them. It paints them in the worst light. And and it, it also points out the idea that, look, it, it, it points out the idea that holding on to childhood too long is ridiculous. And that's, saying, that's a big theme of this movie, is the idea that, you know, that everything is passing. It's, it's very much that idea that childhood is, is a time that it's a phantom time. You only get to enjoy it for a brief period, and then it's over, and you have to grow up. Which is a very powerful idea to me, as I'm currently an expecting father. That's definitely an idea that I'm thinking a lot about. Yeah. And getting kind of excited because I get to see my own kid face that uh, phantom time. And I'm facing, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know if I've ever said this on the cast, I still live with my parents. So I have, like, and I'm 29. Alright, that's a ridiculously long time to live with your parents. So I am also facing down, you know, kind of growing up and moving out. Which I'm really proud of you for. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and that's, that's again, comes with accepting this full-time job and basically having a regular paycheck that I can live on. You know, yeah. it's kind of nice and I am looking forward to it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it involves leaving a lot of things behind and that's great. It's a good thing. It is. I mean, this this is a again, this is a franchise that just this is some these are some serious weighty ideas for what is a very light and silly movie fund, fundamentally. I mean, this or at least it could have been, but this is a movie that really does deal with these ideas and it deals with them very well. And that's why I think really makes this an elevated sequel because it then takes the ideas of the first movie and says, 
No, let's really go out. So, I mean, that's kind of my thoughts on the second one. Let's talk about what happened in the intermediary time between the second and the third movies. Uh, Disney and Pixar kind of went to war for a period. Yeah, and they were there was talk of Pixar splitting off into its own distribution you know, uh, company because, well, Disney gave them the boost that they needed, but they don't, they no longer need that boost because they're Pixar. Yeah. And I was surprised when, I don't know, like a year after hearing that, that they're like, oh yeah, we're buying Pixar. Yeah. Disney ultimately realized that they needed Pixar, um, that their animation unit just wasn't very strong. Now, ironically, uh, Pixar would wind up having a little bit of a weak period, which again, that's a subject for another cast. Um, Disney would, you know, while Disney would start to roar back to life with uh, some strong films at the box office, um, Tangled would wind up doing really well, as would, and then of course Frozen would be the monster that it would be. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll 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 get to again. We we've covered those. We we've already gotten through those. The thing about it was, in the deal, Disney would have retained the rights to all of Pixar's franchises. Let's see. We would have gotten an Incredibles two without Brad Bird. We would have gotten a Toy Story three definitely without Pixar. Disney uh, was ready to go. I can't imagine that. I'm sorry. If anybody thinks Disney isn't wasn't isn't ready to go with a property without its original creators, just remember what we're all doing on December eighteenth. Yeah. Yeah. Disney won't hesitate to move to move to take a brand and move forward with it. Also, look at planes. Yeah. Yeah. Because Disney, that is one that Disney does have the rights to. Uh, note that the planes movies were supposed to go direct to video and. Uh, should have stayed there. Should have stayed there, by all accounts. Um, <laughs> I've seen I have seen both films, not by choice. Yeah. I've seen <laughs> neither film. I'm perfectly happy. Um, I'll, I'll just, I, I will briefly just say, you know, they're not the worst. They're not the worst. They're just not Pixar. People have to realize, Disney really did a lot to get ready for the potential loss of uh, Pixar. They did sign a few deals here and there with other studios. Um and it, I mean, it, it actually spent several. We actually spent several years getting the detritus. I mean, Disney looked. Disney looked also in the time between uh, Toy Story two and three. We got the Shrek films, which were pretty mm. much over by the time that. Uh, yeah, they were. Like, if in fact they may have actually been out right over. Um, I think maybe the fourth one came out in a few years later. They it may have come out a year later, but yeah, the Shrek films. Yeah, yeah. The fourth, the fourth one. I I've only seen. I haven't seen any past two. I haven't seen past two either. I just didn't care. No. The fourth one just seems like revisionist. Like the third one is really the last one, but the fourth one is just like, what if all this didn't happen? Yeah, that's like, silly. That just that just feels like a big wank to me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's talk. I do know briefly what Disney's plans were, by the way, for the aborted third movie that they would have done is it would have involved Woody being recalled and the toys having to stop that. Oh, God. It would not have been a deep movie. It might have been fun, but it wouldn't have been the true ending to the trilogy. But when Disney did get the rights back, the first thing that Pixar put into motion was they scrubbed that version and they said, no, we are doing our version of Toy Story 3. Yeah, which appropriately is 10 years later. Yeah. It actually takes place more or less in real time. It's I think it's maybe off by a year or so, but that's okay. Yeah, he's like 17. Yeah, Toy Story 3 is an ambitious movie. Um, it is a very ambitious sequel. It is a movie in which everything that we've known pretty much 
is thrown out. At this point in time, some of the characters are gone. A number of the major characters are actually out of the film outright. Uh, reflecting the reality of what would have happened. I mean, in reality, let's be honest, in reality, most of these characters would have been packed up many, many, many eons ago before the time that this movie is set, but I'm going to give the film its gimmick. The idea is that they've pretty much been sitting in a box for several years in the corner of his room, which I I believe that. That kind of thing happens. I mean, you, uh, you kind of do hold on to that stuff. But Andy is heading off to college, and the toys are not going with him. They are headed to the attic. And then, of course, things happen. They get separated from going to the attic. Yeah, they get mistaken for trash. They get mistaken for trash, and they wind up um, avoiding that fate and winding up at a daycare where they get donated. This movie has it has kind of a convoluted plot when you really stop and think about it, because their goal is to get home. I view it as a prison break movie. It is it a prison is. break movie. Oh, it's very much a prison break movie. I have a um, soft spot for prison break movies. As do I. As do I. The Great Escape. Oh, yeah. And this movie it makes a lot of direct homages to that. It does. I do believe it uses the theme at one point. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm almost certain it does. Yeah. It definitely makes... Yeah, this is definitely a prison escape movie. But it's also a movie that, again, is dealing with the ideas. The central idea of the film. Which is letting go. And moving on. And finding what, what happens after. This is a movie about closure. About finality. And that is a heavy theme for an animated movie. The film, once more, once more we get the universe expanded. This is where Barbie gets to meet Ken. And let me pause to note, they could have cast a number of, like, pretty boy actors who would have come in to voice Ken and would have given it, you know, a, a generic polish and would have been guys that you would have thought of when you hear, you know, when Ken speaks, you would have heard their voices and been like, oh yeah, that fits. They didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. And bless them for it. Michael Keaton voices Ken. Okay, I guess I sort of kind of knew that. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> this is pr this is probably the best thing Keaton did in his fallow period between this and uh, Birdman. Hi. I'm Ken. Barbie, have we ever met? Uh -uh. I would have remembered. <laughs> Can we just can we just appreciate Michael Keaton for his role as the unsung character actor? Oh, he doesn't get nearly enough credit for it. I'm glad that he is starting to get some respect for that. Uh, mm -hmm. Because he is so great. And I'm, I'm glad that Birdman does appear to have given him a good boost. He's been choosing his uh, post projects really well. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. I'm hearing very good things about Spotlight, which he's in uh, this weekend. I'm hearing very good things about the script for the uh, movie where he's playing the founder of McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I want to see this guy do more. Um, I always, I mean, but I love that Michael Keaton is the voice of Ken. Just because his voice doesn't sound right at all coming out of Ken. It's brilliant. <laughs> it really doesn't. Yes. I, I like that they have a bunch of jokes where Ken is into feminine things, but he's not gay. That is something that does kind of, to me, slightly irritate me, because I do find the gay jokes irritating, but they don't go too far with it. I think they could have maybe cut one or two of them, and I would have been happier. I do agree with that, but in the end, you know, he's not gay. He's he not... just likes really, really feminine things. Yeah. And... Because he's part of the Barbie franchise. Yeah. 
and it's just and again it's the fact that that voice is so not it doesn't convey that at all <laughs> no. of course this movie also has some other great uh voices in it uh ned Beatty as uh the villain of the film is wonderful the problem is this is not the only time uh within that time period that ned Beatty would play a, uh, a part like this bizarrely enough within about 12 months uh Beatty played the same role in uh rango <laughs> true yeah i didn't make that connection that's true yeah he, he plays pretty much the same part in rango which is fine because he's awesome in it yeah the benevolent puppet master yeah and he, he's so good at it he's so funny and I love that Pixar went to someone like that. That's that's more entertaining to me. That's something that I've always loved about Pixar. They go for the right actors, not the familiar actors. I mean, Beatty is an actor that people certainly knew 40 years ago. Not now. But but he's really good in this. And, and I, I, I dug him in this. Um, uh, some, one thing we should note, by the way, is that the voice of Andy in all three movies is the same actor. Really? Yeah. I wondered about that. Yeah, that's the same guy. Cool. I do want to briefly note, uh, kudos to Pixar for uh, once again casting Richard Kind in uh, one of their movies. Yeah. I don't know why this couldn't wait until morning, Ken, but here you go. He should be in more stuff anyway, though. I mean, he, he should be in a yeah. lot more stuff. He's he's one of those actors. I always uh, love uh, seeing him pop up and stuff. He's awesome. But anyway, I just... I don't know. This movie really does have so much. It really does deal in this case with the idea of of letting go and of the struggle of it. Woody really, Woody goes through this movie really struggling with the idea of okay, this is over. Childhood is over. Andy is letting go. This is things are never going to be like they were. And the movie tells the movie doesn't let kids off the hook. The movie doesn't cheat on its ending. That was something I was really afraid they were going to do, which was cheat and have Andy decide, no, you're all coming to college, which would right. have been ridiculous. Which almost happened. I mean, there is a, like, it's not just letting go on the part of the toys. It's his. It's him, too. Yeah, him, too, because these are his beloved childhood toys. And, well, one of, I'm not sure he's ever aware, but one of them is actually a rare a rare action figure. Yeah, he, he could conceivably justify holding on to Woody. Yeah. Even selling him on eBay, which, yeah, no. <laughs> Instead, Woody winds up getting, uh, winds up through contrivance. Um, let's face it, contrivance is really a lot of what drives the plot of these movies. I love them to death, but yeah. let's face it, that is what drives it. Woody does wind up finding a new place. Or is it Woody that winds up going, or is it Buzz? It's Woody. Well, it's Woody, because Buzz is Spanish Buzz in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, Woody winds up finding a new place. And he winds up finding a little girl who is a good owner and who is a good toy owner. And yeah, and that's where they wind up at the end of the movie. And I think that's a great ending because it's not cheating. I love the casting of Christian Shaw as uh, as the Triceratops. Yeah. That's great casting. Yeah. Well, it, the, the whole cast at that place is amazing because you've got uh, Bonnie Hunt, uh, who is a Pixar regular, admittedly. Um, you've got... Um, Timothy Dalton as Mr. Pricklepants, <laughs> a learned Shakespearean actor. You've also got, um, ah, what's his name from MASH? David Ogden Steers. Da yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we well, you know. Of course, he's he's also in his uh, bullseye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's in his bullseye. Uh, the horse. Uh, not that you would oh, recognize it, but yeah. Ah, there's just so much. I'm telling you, there's just. And that's the thing. We're skipping over so many characters that I could talk about. Mr. Potato Head. I. You know, we haven't even touched on Mr. Potato Head or the Little Green Men. Yeah, it's amazing that Don Rickles is well still alive, but yeah. also in all three films. Yeah. He, um, Slinky Dog. Who regrettably yeah, we lost we lost Jim Varney uh, sadly although Blake Clark does a fine job in the third one you really wouldn't notice yeah yeah he service like he yeah you would not know uh he's yeah. he's he's a good sound alike um I'm telling you there's just, uh, so the characters are so good and as I said it all winds up building to that final fate of course there's the scene in the incinerator where the characters are almost they're almost killed. That's a tear-jerking moment. That's a, yeah. Even even on rewatches, when you know that they're gonna be it rescued hurts. by the claw, well, even... which, by the way, is one of the best rescues of all time, and one of the best like. Uh, that's one of the best like. What's the word I'm looking Deus for? Deus ex machina. Deus ex machina. Yes, it's one of the best Deus ex machina of all time, as well as the best callback. It is because it. Because it is so... Okay, that scene is cheating. That scene is the movie cheating so hard. But you know what? I'm okay with it. They do it so well. They do. And it's so warm and fuzzy. And in the end, this all winds up building up to something that we've known was coming, which is the handoff... And we do get a true sense of closure. What we realize is everything that's going on is cyclical. There will be new generations of toys, and this process will go on and on and on forever. I like that idea. It provides closure to the series without getting true closure. I will say, um, this is one of the things, this is one of the earliest things that I disagreed with Doug Walker on. He criticized the scene where Andy is like having that reaction to giving away the toys. That's like, Dude, you don't remember what it was like to be in that position. I would have felt the same way. I was in that position, like, a few times. Yeah, it's saying, it's realizing, he forget, I, I think Walker must have forgotten that when you go away to child, to college, you're giving up, up so much in your life. And it is that realization that, okay, this is all over, and that part of my life is closing. And it is a hard realization, and I don't know. I just, it's, Walker was wrong about that, but as time has gone by, he's proven wrong about a lot, so. What more do I say? Um, this is as satisfying of a conclusion to a trilogy as we could get. And I just, I love this movie. I love all three of these films. And that's my thoughts on the three films. Even when you know they're going to be rescued uh, from the trash compactor, it is still a very, a very stirring moment. Like, when they all just, hold hands and just face their demise i saw that one at a midnight screening wall-to-wall people my own age uh, you know and people in their mid-20s and they are and the sound was just (laughs) oh my god it just and you know (laughs) that they're gonna make it out okay just because you know what movie you're at you know this isn't going to end violently but they are but they are so just so ready to meet their end. It's just it's, wow. It's perfect. And God, I love, I love, 
oh, it's just so beautiful. It is, but it's not the end. Of, but it's not the end. Yeah. Nope. We have we have much more yet to cover. I'm I'm happy to say, because okay, Pixar decided that the trilogy would end, but they decide but they weren't done with this universe. To that end, we've gotten three short films and two TV specials, and we're going to discuss those. The th- the three short films were released theatrically on uh, Cars Two, uh, The Muppets, and um, Cars Two, The Muppets, and um, the re-release of Finding Nemo. Okay, yeah, I think the one I saw was on The Muppets, and that was um, that was the one with the Happy Meal toys. Yeah, I dug that one. I dug that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, Small Fry. That was a good one. That was a good one because it it did it kept up the uh, universe building. I like the three short films. The second, I think of the three short films, the first one is the weakest because it doesn't really expand things too much. Yeah. Which one is that one? That's the one where uh, they simulate a Hawaiian vacation for Barbie and Ken. Oh, yeah. I'm not too crazy about that one. It's just okay. It's just cute. It's a nice, warm, fuzzy, oh, we're still checking in with them and everybody's okay. But it doesn't further things. Yeah. It's fluff. Then we jump ahead to the... uh, Second short, uh, Small Fry, which I love because it really does expand things. It deals with the hidden universe of Happy Meal toys. <laughs> yes, and I love the I love the idea of a support group of like I worked at a fast food place for ten years, and yeah, there are a lot of toys that just don't get sold, and they just get sent back because well, you gotta move on to the next one. And I love the idea of, you know, up in the rafters, there's a support group for displaced, you know, and also people, you know, kids leave their toys behind all the time. To yeah. Displaced Happy Meal toys. It, it's it's a good idea. And the movie has fun with it. So uh, it does. Uh, it's a good little short. Um, the third one, Party Stores Rex, is just playing is just playing classic Toy Story fun. Um, it's fun. Yes. Uh, it, we get to see the world of tub toys and it's it's just a lot of great visuals i this one was explicitly done for the 3d and it looks good it's a fun short the shorts are fun they're quick you can watch them quickly online then there's the two tv specials one for halloween one for christmas yeah toy story of terror i like but it's hard to ignore that it's kind of a cheap ripoff of the uh of the second movie no, a little bit. It's okay, but it's not great. It's worth it's worth watching if you just want to make a quick run back to the universe. And on that level, it's fun. But it's nothing more. And I don't think that they ever strive strove for anything more. Um, yeah. I like the two things I want to say about that one. One, I like the callback to the first one that they included Combat Carl. Mm-hmm. That's one of the main characters. And I love that he's Carl Weathers. Yeah, well, it had to be Carl Weathers. Um, yeah, we do get to, we do get to meet Carl Weathers as Combat Carl. It's awesome. The other thing that I will say is a complete missed opportunity on their part. Is um, part of the plot of that revolves around uh, the bad guy is ultimately the the motel owner who is having his lizard steal um, kids' toys that come through. And so he can sell them on eBay. Okay, when the scene when Woody is sold, like if you freeze frame on the thing, nowhere on that, or on the little, on the screen that says that somebody bought Woody, 
nowhere on that does it say that it's Al. Mm-hmm. That's a that is a missed opportunity. That is a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it could be implied, I guess, but yeah, there's no indication. It's 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 just a cute throwback to the universe, but it really doesn't advance anything, and it doesn't have any ideas driving it. I think it kind of gives us a glimpse of what a less than thought out Toy Story universe would look like. It's still fun. It's still, it's fun. still fun to watch. It's still fun. I mean, I definitely recommend it. If you love the movies, you need to see it just for just because it is fun. Um, I didn't regret watching it. Yeah, and to watch them kind of recreate a crappy uh, opening scene for a horror movie, uh, like for a cheap 50s horror movie, that was kind of fun. That was fun. Um, not as good as the one in Paranorman, but fun. Right. Uh, The Toy Story Time Forgot, on the other hand, I really, really enjoyed this one because it does have some ideas. Yeah, yeah. It's the idea that uh, Christmas toys coming right out of the box, you have a whole set of them instead of just one. So their world is complete and they think that that's it. Mm -hmm. And they are neglected. They are not allowed to be toys because it is what's... It is a commentary on spoiled little shits who have it. Yeah, it's it's a vicious. Once more, the commentary is out, and it's not pleasant. Uh, commenting on kids who just get all this stuff and don't care. Uh, the movie is very vicious on that, and it's fun. I yeah, that's a, that's a that's a good short, it, or it's a it's a good twenty minutes. Uh, it gives Shawl a lot to do. She gets. Uh, yeah, I loved that. The way they do the uh, short, the uh, shorts is that they kind of let other, uh, some of the more minor characters shine in them. The Toy Story of Terror was all about Jesse, and uh, yeah, this one was all about Christian uh, Shaw's character, which is awesome. Trixie, yeah, yeah, and it's fun. I I, I had a lot of fun with this short, uh, with this special. Um, it's. It's a very strange, bizarre post. It's kind of like Toy Story getting to do a post-apocalyptic story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing we should note, by the way, about all the short films and specials is that the full voice cast is back in force for all of them. And yes, yeah. that even means Hanks, who is sidelined and is doing a lot less, but he's still in them. He's still present. He's still there, yeah. In fact, this is something that kind of the franchise has across the board. We didn't address the Buzz Lightyear TV series because I've never seen it. But for at I least neither. But for at least the pilot. But for the pilot movie, uh, Tim Allen did come back, um, and then he handed off the reins to Patrick Warburton. <laughs> That's not a downgrade. Yeah. Okay. No, I can see him. I can see him mimicking the voice. Yeah. But yeah. That's. That's an upgrade there, if we're honest. I mean, really. Yeah. I, I love Patrick Warburton. Um, at least for this, at least for like a more serious version of Buzz, like a more straightforward version, that feels like a more appropriate choice. Um. Uh, yeah. They did also do really quick uh, a couple of like fifteen second bumpers in 1996. Um, those nobody came back for, and those no one's ever really talked about. They're quick gags. Let's just let's ignore them. I'm fine. We'll be back with much more fun now. Don't you change that channel, son? Yeah, I vaguely remember those. Toy Story Time Forgot is out on DVD right now, and I do recommend it. Um, it recently came out on DVD. You ought to be able to get it at Redbox. Uh, 
yeah, I, I'd even recommend it there. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it does have some nice ideas. Um, the quality control across this franchise is really absurd. Um, yeah, it's so good. Um, even the uh, boom comics were pretty good. Actually. I, I liked the boom studios comics that they did. Those were pretty decent. Hmm. I did not know they did that. Yeah. They had a, they had a couple of decent arcs. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'll just say, yeah, I own a couple of the boom studio. Like they have, they do adventure time. Mm hmm. Um, I own like the first volume of that digitally. Uh, As do I. I think they do the Bravest Warriors comic. Yes, they do. Superb. Yeah, I own I own three volumes of that, and yeah, they're they're good. They're good. They um, do they do their properties well. They briefly had the uh, Disney license, uh, which they then lost, of course, when the obvious happened. Oh yeah, when Marvel came, yeah. Though Disney has actually now taken like their classic characters and taken them to IDW because. Marvel's really not interested in publishing uh, comics and stories and such. And I think that's okay. Um, IDW is. Um, yeah, IDW is also good. There are actually still some some stuff that Disney releases through uh, Marvels, but that's neither here nor there. Overall, really, the quality control across the Toy Story franchise is obscene, and it's amazing. And that brings us to where we're at, we're at now. In a few years, the trilogy is... The trilogy is still closed, in my opinion, but we are going to get a fourth movie. Yeah, and it's a interquel. I hadn't heard that it was an interquel. I that was my understanding. It was going to be about Woody and Bo Peep. Yeah, whatever we get, I'm intrigued by it. Um, as as far as I'm concerned, the series, whatever they do next, I'm going to let them. Yeah. If they even have a misfire, I'm okay with that because these are still great movies, and the three the three central films of the trilogy are so strong that I'll let them have an unneeded fourth movie. But they're bringing in some uh, talent. Um, the co-writer of it is uh, it's coming from the writers of uh, an indie film that was well received. One of whom is Rashida Jones. Yeah, and but and have to note she was in a, a small part, very briefly. Yeah, a very brief part in uh, Inside Out. But her cameo is hysterical, so... Yes. Yeah, I'm... Uh, you know what, I'm gonna let him have the fourth movie. I'll definitely go see it, and I'll definitely be excited for it. Uh, Pixar wanted to do it, and I'm... Why not Why not go on ahead and go in? If you've got more ideas and the universe is still out there, okay. I don't know that things are as closed as we thought they were. Um, to me, the three films are always gonna be there, they're always going to be a profound allegory for growing up and facing uh, change. All right, you guys can have this next one. I'll watch it. And of course, I'll watch it because it's Toy Story. I I love these films as much as I loved the first movie 20 years ago. That's how I feel about them. I'm 31 now. I still feel about the franchise the way that I did about the first movie when I was 11. And I love that I can say that. And it's not nostalgia that drives it. They're genuinely, They're just genuinely that good. There's a lot of stuff that I loved at one point in my life, and then I got older, and as the series went on, I didn't love it as much. You can pretty much chart my reaction to the Jackass franchise that way. I had a really yeah. good time in uh, when I was 18 with it. By the time that the last movie came out, I was like, oh, oh, this isn't good. Please no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the third movie actually hurt to watch. Mm. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah, I don't feel that way about Toy Story. These are great movies. They deserved 
and I can't wait to introduce my next generation to them. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe that's the fun of it now. We get to hand it off to the next generation. Yeah, um, my niece and nephew love the films. Love, love, love. They they beg to watch Toy Story of Terror when they come over. Yeah, and that's fine with me. It It's how it should be. Uh, to everybody at Disney and Pixar, keep it up. These are movies that deserve their classic status. If I, We're not going to do a, nost- a nostalgia column on this movie for the day that it comes out. This cast is going to serve as our column. 10 out of 10, though, obviously. I mean, that goes without saying. 10 out of 10. I've only given up two other 10s this year. This movie deserves it. This movie deserves it more than any other. I think I've given at least two. But yeah, this one, this is 11 out of 10. Yeah. This was the highest grossing film in 1995. I truly defy you to name another movie that people think of more from that year. This This is as great as it came. I've seen all three of the movies at least twice in theaters. Uh, the third one, the first one I've seen three times. Yeah, I'm good with that. I've seen two and three in theater. I saw three in 3D, and that was great. I'm I'm mixed on the, th- on the 3D and three. It wasn't quite as good as I think it should have been, but that's okay. I don't think Pixar's ever been all that interested in 3D. Yeah, which is okay. <laughs> but But that's okay, I mean... The, as I said, the first and second looked great, and, and that may have been my problem, was that the first and second looked so good. Um, yeah. You know these movies. You know that they're great. You've all seen them. But I, but that's good. These are movies that deserve it. And I'm glad I'm glad that we've gotten the chance to do a retrospective on them. These are, thing, these are just well worth the, the praise. So, we, we've been in a really happy mood this week. It doesn't continue next week. <laughs> that's right. Next time on the film room, we discuss a long-awaited topic. I think we've been kind of bouncing this one around for a couple of years now. This was definitely one of the origin topics. Yeah, uh, we're going to take on the MPAA. Get ready, we're not going to be nice. No. <laughs> yeah, it's it's toxic at this point, and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, we're it's time to call out the MPAA on their sins. Next week, we're going to li- we're going to be looking at. Their worst decisions. We're going to be looking at the rare times that good decisions were made. We're going to look at their biases. There will be a healthy discussion of the film. This film is not yet rated, which I actually don't like that much. I'm just going to say that right now. But I have a lot of thoughts on because it makes some good points. We're going to be going in at full speed on this one. And y'all just get ready because it's going to be hard. So you can you can find us on our blog at thefilmroom.podbean.com. It's the cast source, and you can find extra stuff that we post there with every cast. You can also, by proxy, do the Android Podbean app. You know, it goes up as soon as we post it. There's no more direct way to get to us. Um, it's a good thing. And uh, we go on iTunes typically the next day wednesday we post every tuesday itunes goes up wednesday you can find us on our side blog where you will find nostalgia at uh the uh our twitters we are at filmroomcast i'm at permanent prd austin is at untitled user and there is still the secret twitter we will reveal it eventually yeah we will eventually yeah but for now, it's just fun to let you guys hunt it down. Let's see, Facebook, facebook.com slash the film room. 
you can email us. Email us with anything. Filmroompodcast at gmail.com. Of course, there is the Patreon. We are pleased to announce we have a new patron. Yep. <laughs> uh, as of last night, uh, the lovely Ms. Amanda Shin has joined us, and she will be joining us for a future cast. Yes, she, yeah, she, uh, uh, she pledged at the level that, uh, gets her a cast for every three months, and, of course, you know, gets cash on that immediately, and, well, she's going to be on the cast, because, well, we haven't had her on for a bit, and, you know, that's a crying shame, so. Yep, so we're going to be getting her request, and, uh, we've got a good cast, too. Um, I won't spoil what it is, but we've got an awesome movie that we're going to, have so much to talk about um a movie we really probably should have been covering in full anyway i know it's yeah when she suggested that it's like why haven't we done that that's perfect i will spoil this it is a movie that i really love at least i don't i don't know how you feel about it i really love the living hell out of this movie so i can't wait to talk about it it was really popular when i was in high school i liked it well enough i think i've grown to appreciate it a lot more with time Spoiler hint for people, I have all, we, we have already discussed it in a previous cast, and I did discuss it as my favorite of that era of the cast, so that's a hint. Oh yeah, that's true, that's true. That's coming in January, so, but let's thank our other patrons, um, Amanda, the uh, carrier of uh, my offspring, I've addressed you enough. Thank you, Sean from Notoli, thank you, Daisy, thank you, Sheila, uh, thank you, Bridget, thank you, Nathan. Yep. We're now up to $25. We are $5 away from our website mark. Yeah, we're $5 away from the website. Yes. We would love to get our own website. And if we did that, guys, we would have so much to do. But anyway, we have the goals coming. So thanks to y'all. And And that is patreon.com slash thefilmer. Yeah. So that's what we've got coming. And guys, we've got so much we want to do. We have so much coming. We've got... January is going to be a guest extravaganza. It's all guests. December is going to be a crazy month uh, for us. Uh, we have got... Uh, if you feel like we've been doing too many good movies, you don't need to worry. That's that's coming to an end. We've got two very bad movies that we're going to be hitting on. And two good ones. Two very good ones. Including the mysterious Cast 50. So, we will be hitting on that. And uh, till then, we will talk to y'all later. Bye, everybody. Hay un amigo en mí, hay un amigo en mí, cuando salgan a volar, hay un amigo en mí, sí, un amigo en mí, hay un amigo en mí. Cuando salgan a volar, hay un amigo en mí, sí, un amigo en mí, hay un amigo en mí. I did it. I finally defeated Zerg. Father.